This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. If you were to walk in the door of my first grade classroom, Mrs. Walmart's classroom, this is what you would have seen. Off to the left, a long line of hooks where you are told to put your backpacks and your coats and then those important things. Okay. Straight across from you, across the door, is a long line of windows that could look down into the hallway that was the third and the fourth grade classrooms. To the back of the classroom was the table with all the crafts and these little jugs. They looked like little barrels full of paste where Mikey would eat the paste. Um, every classroom had, maybe that was you, but yeah, Mikey would eat paste and if you gave him 50 cents, he'd lick the bottom of your shoe. <laughs> Every classroom had a Mikey. My desk was right in the very front, very first row as you walked in. Right behind me sat Don Nagy, and he had a brand new set of Crayola markers, a full 38. Like, it was massive. I just had a few. He had the whole thing. And right across the chalkboard, right across the top, broom, A, big A, little A, big B, little B, big C, little C. All printed nice, big, and bold on those, those double lines with the little dash in between so you know. All right, A goes all the way up. Little A underneath. Okay, big B, little B. And you would practice. And you would get these sheets of paper where you would practice the basics of penmanship. First grade, second grade, you're learning how to do cursive. This is what an A is. This is what a D is. How many of your names have the letter A in it? Some of you, some of you got double A's. Yeah, double, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many of your A's look like the A you learned in first grade? Some. Lying in church. I believe Nathan does, yes. Yeah, Matthew, I don't know about, but maybe. What happens over time is we start to make it our own, don't we? This is what we were taught, but I'm going to make it my own. This is how I do A's. This is how I do the letter P. Maybe there's a flourish. Maybe it's all over the place. We kind of step away from the basics. I was curious at the penmanship of the church. And so last week I had Vanessa run around with a little project and get some of your signatures. I was curious how many of you make letters like the basics and how many of you kind of have made it your own and I grouped some of them together I didn't use all of them uh, it would have been very enjoyable to show but here's an example of someone here's a couple isn't that beautiful you can read it very easily you know what the letters are and you know the actual names just in case you're curious you know here's Cynthia there's Marianne you can, M looks like an M S looks like an S K looks like a K yeah absolutely something happens though not everyone's looks like this some of them look like this which is fine right and maybe you can still read it can you still read what those are it's a married couple here in our fellowship that's Neil and Nikki Engel yeah not too bad not too bad this is where things get weird Who said Jesse? 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, go ahead, bring it up. This is the signatures of Jessica Davis and Jesse Shell. At the top, everyone in the first service threw Jason under the bus, his wife. They thought for sure that was Jason Davis. No, it's actually his wife, Jesse. But here, here's the winner. Here's the winner. Ready? If you know who this is, don't say anything. This is a real person. This is their real signature. This is the person who basically runs my calendar, keeps track of where I'm supposed to be and when I'm supposed to be. This is the person responsible for me getting to places on time. This is the person who signs checks. This is none other than Vanessa, yep, Dieter. You can kind of see a V in that, right? I mean, it's kind of a V, kind of a D right now. She's, I think, is she back working online? Is she hosting online? And she's laughing right now out of her chair. Uh, she's quite proud of it. I'm not faulting anyone. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We've kind of gotten away from some of the basics maybe. A little bit, don't you think? The, right now, my first grade teacher, she'd be rolling over in the aisles anyways if she found out what I was doing right now. Um, Anyways, but yeah, we've kind of gotten away from the basics. Let's get back to the basics today and next week. Because it's not about making it our own. It's about doing what's supposed to be done. I mean, if you have to sign an important document, you'll put your signature at the bottom, right? But what will they also ask that you do? Please print. Right? Please print. The word base, a good Greek term. It's talking about that main plinth that the pillar rests on that supports everything else. It's a structural term. That which is at the foundation. But that's not the only time we will use the word basic or base. Military has a base, right? Military base, out of which comes their supply, where they find safety and security. They have a base. How many of you are familiar with a sport that has bases? Right? Some of you play that sport, those sports. And to win the game, what do you have to do? You have to be able to get to the bases. A story will have basic parts to it. Then if you remove a part of that basic storyline, the story stops being the story. We talk here at House on the Rock, what is the great story of God? A story that begins in original goodness. God created all things good. That's basic. But there's human treachery. There's human treason. There's God's promise. There's the coming of the delivering king, the good king Jesus, and what he's done for us on the cross. There's the restoration that the church is a part of and the celebration that we'll get to experience in time to come. If you take any of those basic elements out of the story, it stops being the story. In fact, you violate and destroy the story, don't you? Yeah. We say that life has basic elements to it. What do you need? What are the basics for your life? You need oxygen, right? You need food and water. You need shelter. No one anywhere with any sense of success is, yeah, but I'm going to make it on my own. I'm going to make this my own. Everyone else, you know, they breathe in oxygen. I'm going to just live on helium. I'm not going to work very well. At all. 
I know everybody else has to eat, but you know, I'm going to go without food. I'll be fine. Everyone else needs shelter. I know that's a basic for them, but for me, I can go without it. No. No. If you want to topple a building, what do you attack? The base. If you want to defeat an army, what do you cut it off from? It's base. You want to beat a team? Don't let it get to base. You want to ruin a story? Take away its basic parts. You want to destroy a life? Remove those basic pieces. So what does it mean back to basics for a follower of Jesus Christ? What are those basic pieces that if we take these away, might very well topple and destroy and defeat all that we're striving and living for? But if we made it a priority, hmm, stronger faith, stronger life. In your notes, take out your notes. Let's write something down together. Christ-likeness is based on how we study Christ. Write that down. If you have a set of notes, if you're watching online, if you're a guest, this is one of those things that we do. We kind of write some things down to help us remember. Christ-likeness is based on what is basic to that is how we study Christ. Christ-likeness, that's why we're all here. That's why we've gathered. You have not woken up as early as you needed to wake up. You have not gotten showered and dressed just to come see my pretty face. Right? That's not why you're here. Matthew gave me a bad look. Okay? <laughs> Definitely not. Could have been doing other things. What is the purpose of gathering? Is to worship Jesus, to become more like Jesus. That's, that's Christ-likeness is what it's all about. What is based to that, what is basic to that pursuit? Studying. What is foundational, what is source, what is primary, what is winning, what is story? Studying Jesus Christ. We know what the summer slump is. Students have gone back to school. Teachers are working to arrest the summer slump. Hey, let's remember how to read. Let's remember how to write. Let's remember how to use a microscope. Let's remember how to log on to power school. Let's remember these base summer has happened and we know you weren't doing, so we kind of have to get back to. But followers of Jesus Christ, we can have summer slump too, can't we? We can... Do it our own way. Oh, but there's vacations and there's traveling and it's warm out and to sleep in and oh, I just, I did it my way for a few months. Okay. Why don't we come back to basics? Let's talk about the basics of studying Jesus in our life. If you have the opportunity to live my life, you get to watch lots of soccer games. That's kind of how we roll at my house. We got three boys that play soccer, two of them in high school, one of a select team. And yesterday, guess where I was? I was at a soccer game. And they were playing a very, very good soccer team that comes up from Cincinnati, known for winning quality program. And if you were to watch them, you would know it's a quality, quality soccer team. Because you know what they're very, very good at? The basics. They're really good at passing. 
They're really good at kicking. They're really good at running. And if you were a coach and you had a team that was a losing team, what would you work on at practice? Let's work on the basics. Let's get back to the basics. How do we run? How do we throw? How do we pass? What is it that was basic to the early church? If you think of the early church in the book of Acts, when it's beginning, it's first grade year, second grade year, third grade year. What were those things that the Holy Spirit was putting into the culture of the church from the very get-go? And what were the results? That's what we would want to know. So let's look at there together. In the book of Acts, if you take out your copy of the scripture, we'll have verses up on the screen for you. Uh, Ryan will help out there. The book of Acts is how the church grew. It's located after the Gospels, if you're looking in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And it is year one. Elementary school. This is the beginning. What was basic to it? I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Why don't you follow along on the screen or follow along in your copy? And I'll read to you. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Ready? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, if it's a good team, it's a winning team. If it's a winning team, you see wins. If it's a good army, it's a winning army. You see victories. What's on the back end of this type of church? What do we see them as a result? Well, they're experiencing generosity one to another. We see them celebrating and praising God. We see them experiencing favor with the community that they're in. We see God daily blessing them and adding to their number. Okay, that's the output. What's the input? What were they doing? What was basic? to their life, and to their health. Where does the passage start in verse 42? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And fellowship. Next week we're going to talk about fellowship. Basic to who they were and what they were was studying the apostles' teaching. And what do you think the apostles taught? Well, in Matthew 28, at Jesus' ascension, his last words to them while he was on earth, he says, go into all the world. As you're going throughout the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all I've taught you. Teach them my commands. Teach them my words. So here we are, year one of the church, day one, week one of the church, basics. And what are we learning? We're learning about Jesus. We're studying Jesus. 
Maybe one of the apostles gets up and he has a, a group of followers around him. He's unpacking this story. He's un, unpacking that story. Maybe one of them's walking through the Sermon on the Mount. One of them's walking through some of the other teachings that, that Jesus was known for. Maybe one's talking about prayer. Maybe another one's talking about how Jesus is connected back to the Old Testament. But he's, they're teaching them about Jesus. Dedicated, devoted to it. What's it mean to be devoted to something? That means above and beyond anything else, that's priority number one. We could be doing that. Instead, we're going to do this. We're fully committed. So much so, they did it daily. Daily. So I was thinking I would change our church schedule and we'd start to meet. No, I won't. But talk about devotion, right? So if you don't know anything, you've never been to a Jewish temple, anyone here ever been to a Jewish temple before? Of course you have. Synagogue. Functions basically the same way you think a church does, right? You're like, I don't know. I've never been one. Well, there's a big part that's for worship. But along the outside of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, there's what they call the portico. Bunch, it was a bunch of spaces to gather for learning, for classes. So you'd meet with a rabbi or your favorite teacher or Pharisee. And you'd gather there. Jesus was known for going to the temple to do what? To teach. And he'd have debates with other teachers. So what are they doing at the temple? Daily. They're worshiping God. They're learning about Jesus. They're worshiping God and they're learning about Jesus. Daily devoted. Do you think this habit carries through the New Testament? Do you think after first grade, second grade, third grade, do you think they carried this forward? You think they made this a priority? You know, after first grade and second grade, you can kind of move on to other things, right? You make it your own. I know that study was a big deal then, but now we're going to move on to other things. Much later in the New Testament, much later in the story, Peter's writing to Christians scattered all over the place. He's one of the apostles. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5, he says this. He encourages them. For this very reason, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. You make every effort to grow your faith. You want to know how you grow your faith? He says, make sure you're always growing in knowledge. Make sure you're always learning. Much later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, there's a conversation and a look at a group of Bereans, Jews, that were gathering in the synagogue and the apostle Paul was teaching them. And this is how they're described. Now these Jews were more noble then those, and that doesn't mean they had crowns and they had fancy horses and capes. That means quality of character. Okay? They received the word with all eagerness. How did they receive the word? They received it with eagerness. They received the instruction and teaching, examining scripture daily to see if these things were so. That's the word daily again, examining eagerness. So the apostle Paul would teach them some things. We got to go check that out. They're opening up their co a copy of the Torah. They're, they're going through the Old Testament. Hey, what he's teaching us is true. And they were described as more noble in character. 
And the Apostle Paul gets to the end of his life, his last communication to one of his dear, dear, dear apprentices, a son in the faith he called Timothy. Well, we're going to look at uh, chapter 3. This is 2 Timothy. But let me read you into it, just context-wise. Most important things. Last letter. Last communication. What are the things that he charged Timothy to do? He has this to say. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get to 14 where I want you to focus. You, Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. Persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a verse to memorize. Evil people, imposters, they'll go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, this is the charge, as for you, Timothy, pay attention, continue in what you have learned and are firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does he charge him to do? You keep learning. You keep learning. Okay, this is Timothy. Okay, he's been following Paul around for years. This boy ain't in first grade. This boy ain't in second grade. This ain't boy in third grade. We're talking about postgraduate studies. This guy knows gospel, knows the story. And what does his teacher tell him? You keep learning. You keep studying. All scripture is formative and transformative. Don't stop learning. The faith that began in your childhood, you keep growing. But this is one of the reasons he says you better keep studying. He continues in chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. By his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. You be ready in season and out of season. You reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. If you stand where I get to stand, you understand how true that passage is. You need to keep learning because it's your job to keep teaching. And it's going to be a struggle because people aren't going to want to hear the truth. In fact, they're going to gather around their favorite teachers that tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear, how you can have your best life now. But you keep bringing before them the honest, the open, and the real truth of Jesus Christ. Study, it's basic to following Jesus Christ. What is it about study? 
Why is a discipline, Paul, are you pressing us into that so much this morning? Well, we have to talk a little bit about the mind, what the mind is from a biblical perspective. Mind is that reasoning, thinking, governing capacity that you have. In Scripture, the heart does what the heart's going to do based on what the mind has inside of it. The heart that is you, not this beating muscle. The heart of you drives out of and acts based on what your mind has inside of it. Your body defers to and is governed by your mind. The mind is an embodied thing. Based on your ideas, your mind will respond a certain way. Relationships are connected to your mind, aren't they? How many of you have tanked and done terrible things in relationships because of your mind? What someone thought or didn't think, what someone believed or didn't believe, based on ideas in the mind. Healthy mind, healthy life. Healthy mind, healthy life. It's basic. It's significant. It is so significant. Look at it like this. We have what's called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Okay? If you grow up uh, in a Protestant church, kind of make big deals about those two things. Great Commandment, Great Commission. What's the Great Commandment? Here is the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, he says, hey, you want to know what the most important thing is? It's loving God. How do you love God? You love God with your, part of loving God is loving God with your mind, how you think. Great commandment. Great commission. I just read it for you. It's in Matthew 28. Go into all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Great commandment, great commission. Where do they overlap? What do they both have in common? I love God with my mind. How do I love God with my mind? Teaching. Learning. At the center of Jesus is what we call his greatest commandment. At the center of what we call his commission to the church is a healthy, growing, knowledgeable, faith-filled mind. But how many of us have gotten into a world of trouble because of our mind? How many of us have gotten into a world of trouble because of our mind? In your notes, write this down. By God's design, the mind molds to what it holds. By God's design, the mind molds to what it holds. It's moldable. It's always changing, reshaping, rewiring. Psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, neuroplasticity. We just didn't think it was true. It's kind of like, all right, wherever the mind is, that's where it's at, and you're stuck. So, you know, if you screw up through the 20s and the 30s and you develop yourself a good addiction, I'm sorry, man, you're stuck. You ain't getting out of that one. 
Once that sucker's wired, there's no unwiring it. Once that sucker is laid down, it's cement. Well, we've learned that that's not true at all. By God's grace, isn't that amazing? Because maybe, maybe you weren't like me, but maybe in your 20s and 30s, you jacked up your mind. And you were doing things you shouldn't have been doing. And you were looking at things you shouldn't have been looking at. And you sat in men's groups like I did. Like, sorry, you're stuck. You are now God's stepchild. Stay in the back and be quiet. Yeah, that's how we would feel. And then you start to understand, wait a second. The mind's always changing and reshaping and remolding. And it will mold to whatever it holds. Meaning, whatever's in front of it, it takes that on. That's why we tell you, what is your kid watching? Like, my kid, he's a monster. Like, he's constantly punching and swearing and kicking. And what kind of video games does he play? Call of Duty? Do you think that affects him? Grand Theft Auto? Is that bad? Does he act like the video game? Yeah. What do you think? What, what do you think? What, what do you think? I have no idea why he might be acting that way. The mind molds whatever it holds. If I am constantly putting images and videos in front of my mind that objectify women and sex, guess what my mind will start to do? It will lay pathways and trunk lines and factories of sexual adultery and perversion. Why? The mind molds to what it holds. If I put that in front of my mind, by God's design, it's just going to take that and it'll run with it. But centuries ago, the Apostle Paul had figured out something. It took neuroscientists centuries later to figure out. He has this to say in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Go ahead, Ryan. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 2,000 years ago, Paul's like, renew your mind. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the world, don't hold the world in front of you. Your mind will mold to that, whatever it might be. Rather, have your mind renewed and transformed. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Set your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated, not on things below. How many of you, your mind has gotten you into a world of trouble over the years? Yeah. By God's grace, it can be renewed. Just because you ruined your marriage doesn't mean you have to keep ruining your marriage. Just because of lies and you, you ruined your finances doesn't mean you have to keep ruining your finances. Just because in the past you ruined relationships doesn't mean you have to keep ruining relationships. 
Just because you held on to lies doesn't mean you have to keep holding on to lies. You have power over what you know, but what you know has power over you. You have power over what you know, but what you know has power over you. If that sounds really preachy, I didn't come up with it. I stole it from some guy online. All right, so what does this have to do with study? Study, then, is the basic spiritual discipline used to shape the mind. Study is the basic spiritual discipline that's used to shape the mind. Study is not listening. Because you are listening to me does not mean that you're studying. Because you're listening to an audiobook of the Bible does not mean that you're studying. Does, does study involve listening? Yes. Does study, uh, study is not paying attention. I'm paying attention to what Paul is saying. That is not study. It's important, but it's not study. It, study is not agreeing with. Well, I agree with what Paul says, okay? Not studying. Not studying. I'm glad that you're in agreement. Reading. Reading is not study. Because you read a verse from the Bible does not mean that you studied it. It does not mean that it has transformed and shaped your mind. It's an important part. Nor is reading what other people have studied. Study. Okay. Maybe for some of you, your devotional habit in the morning is reading a stack of what we call devotionals. Our daily bread. Okay. Hear me. I'm not dissing our daily bread. Do not send me emails on how our daily bread has transformed your life. I'm glad. That's awesome. But you have to understand where that fits on the menu of priority. Okay? Is there a place for those devotionals in the life of a follower of Jesus? Absolutely. Yes. After, after you have studied to sustain your Christian life on our daily bread is like my six-year-old coming back from the buffet with a plate full of jello saying, that's dinner. <laughs> what do you got there? It's my dinner. J-E-L-L-O. Well, how about some meat? How about some vegetables? I like jello. I'm glad you like jello. When do we eat jello? After we've eaten some other things. After. We've got some meat and some potatoes after we've gotten some vegetables. All right, so here's the habit in your notes. This is the basic components of study. First one, focus. Focus. Study takes concentration. I have teenagers. I am mindful of their mental space when they're doing their homework. Can you concentrate right now? Do I need to hold on to your phone? No, I'm fine. Are you sure? You're positive. You got a little diggly thing hanging out of your ear right now. Can you study with that thing in there? No, I'm good. Are you sure? Because you need to be concentrating. Are we concentrating? Study involves focus. I have three great kids. I have, they're th great students. I need to bring my mind to bear on whatever it is I'm looking at in Scripture. I need to focus. Focused time, focused space, focused place. This is a work. It's a discipline. It takes effort. Secondly, repetition. It takes repetition to study. A repeatable thing that you do again and again and again and again. Remember, they gathered at the temple daily, day by day, devoted to the apostles' teaching. How many of you bake bread? Own it. Own it. You have a skill. Most of us don't. After the apocalypse comes, you'll still be alive. Okay? How many of you can bake bread? 
do it. Own it. Okay. Okay. How important is kneading in the baking process? Very important. Very important. You can't just throw everything in a pot and say, let's throw that sucker in the oven. Get ourselves some fresh bread. No, if you do that, you're going to pull something out of the oven and it's just going to be a hot mess. Say if we take wheat flour, the whole process of baking, you've got a couple proteins that have to come together. Kneading is what brings them into alignment to form nice long chain amino acids that create a matrix by which that traps the gas so that the bread will rise. I read that from the Food Network. <laughs> I don't know how to bake bread, but I know that kneading is important. And so if you're going to knead the bread, rolling it and rolling it and folding it and rolling it and folding it, it takes you about 10 minutes. A good 10 minutes of working that dough so that all those proteins and all those amino chains get worked in and out to do what it needs to do so that the bread can become what the bread needs to be. Repeated again and again and again. Part of study is letting that word need your mind. That might be repeating it through memorization. Repeating it through reading again and again. If you turn your notes over, I have a suggested reading there for you for the week. And I say, read it multiple times. Read Romans 12, 1 to 2, multiple times. Read 2 Timothy 3, multiple times. Why? To get it in there again and again and again and again. A repeated process that takes time. Reviewing again and again and again. They met daily, daily, daily. Focus, repetition, third part of study is understanding. Understanding. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're focused on? That involves making observations. Oh, look at that. King David did this. Oh, look at that. He did that when he was with Goliath. Oh, I don't understand this. Observations are really important. But also part of understanding is asking questions. You really want to grow in knowledge and study? Ask questions. I don't understand that. Why is that there? Why is that there? And then go find the answers. I love it. There's some women's group in, groups in this church, and there's some small groups. I know when they're meeting because they'll call me. Because they're going through something in Scripture. Like, hey, we don't understand this. What's the deal? Like, well, it's this and this and this. Awesome. You are growing in study. You are, you are bringing new things into your mind, and you're being renewed. This is where I geek out as a pastor, okay? As someone who studies the Bible and has loved doing it his whole life. I'm currently in the study of Elijah. I've been in there about a month and a half. It's just one of those things the Holy Spirit says, you know what, you should be studying Elijah right now. Okay, you want me to study Elijah? So I'm unpacking it. I know the story of Elijah. I've read it lots and lots of times. Elijah goes on the mountain, he's calling down fire. Who doesn't like Elijah? I mean, that's the stuff. That's where it's all at, Okay. So I'm working through it, and I'm studying, I'm making outlines, and I'm comparing. There's this place in Elijah's life, he's a prophet, where God sends him off to Zarephath. Zarephath. Why? Because he turned off the rain. Israel right now is underneath the leadership of a very evil pagan king and pagan queen. He turns off the rain, and God says, you need to get out. Sends him off by a brook, and then he sends him up to Zarephath. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. But then I'm like, Why Zarephath? 
I'm just curious. Still four o'clock in the morning, this is what I'm doing. You were curious, this is what I'm doing. Why does Elijah go to Zarephath? Like he could have sent him anywhere. God could have sent Elijah anywhere. Why did God send him to Elijah to Zarephath? I'm just curious. So I start poking around. I start doing some research. The evil queen, Jezebel, how many of you heard that term before? Jezebel. Oh, she's a Jezebel. This is where it comes from, okay? Do not call your wife Jezebel. It's in the Bible. A lot of things are in the Bible, and you don't need to repeat that one, okay? Uh uh-uh. uh. So, Jezebel, the evil queen, who's brought this idolatry and, and, and the fornicate, all this terrible stuff into Israel, guess where she's from? Just north of Zarephath. That's her backyard. Her dad, the evil king, oversees that whole region. You know Jezebel told her dad, hey, keep your eyes out for Elijah. Guess where God sent Elijah? Right into the evil king's backyard. And you know what they make in Zarephath? You have no idea, do you? I didn't either. That's where they make all the idols. That's where the evil king and the evil queen It's the foundry and the forge for all of the gold idols that was seeping into Israel. Zarephath literally means smelting, to shape, to mold. And this is where I start going nuts. I'm like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, Like, I'm yelling at the house. My kids are asleep. My wife's like, this is the Bible. This is crazy. Are you telling me that God, in the middle of the drought, would take his prophet and send him right into the middle of the storm? Where he has to survive for three years while he's being hunted and persecuted while they're trying to kill him? And that's where God sent him? And then the next part, because this, and this, this is the part of the study. While the evil is smelting and forming and making their idols, do you know what God was doing in Zarephath? God was making his prophet. And the Holy Spirit says, do you want to be my prophet? Do you want to speak to the people? Do you want to confront their idols? I need to take you into the fire. part of study is what we call reflection. Significance. What is the Spirit saying to you now? After I've focused on it and I've I've repeatedly got it into my mind and after I understand what it's saying, then I ask, what is he saying to me? The first question of study, what does the Bible say? Then I ask, 
what is the Bible saying to me? I reflect on it. I find what's significant. Do this with scripture daily, often. It revives the soul. It shapes the mind. It puts things back together again. If you're sick, it heals you. If you're hungry, it feeds you. If it's a dark night, it gives you light. If following Jesus Christ is this majestic palace, some of you haven't even gotten past the coat room yet. You haven't even got to the mud room. You're standing in the door and say, this is awesome. This is incredible. This amazing archway. This Jesus, this house is incredible. Following Jesus like a palace, you haven't gotten past the threshold. By God's grace, some prophet or butler comes along and says, hey, have you checked this out? There's a lot in this house. Really? Is this true? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm kind of hungry. Oh, this palace has a kitchen like you've never seen. Oh, there's things to feast on that will feed your soul. I'm kind of sick and broken. Oh, this palace has an infirmary. You'll find healing. You'll find comfort. What's with all these portraits here in this gallery? Oh, you check out this gallery. This gallery is kind of magic, though. You got to be careful. You start looking in these portraits and you start looking at some of these sculptures, and something's going to happen. You're actually going to start seeing yourself in those portraits. Because if there's one thing this palace has, it's a whole lot of mirrors, and it will show you yourself at every turn. On the bottom of your notes, I've tried to give you some resources. Some of you have smartphones. You like them. You love them. That's great. Uh, I've included some apps if you wanted to grow and study the basics of study. Download them. Some of them are free. Some of them aren't. They all call for time. Uh, the Bible Project has a great app. Version is a great way to participate in reading with groups or just your own, having a Bible on your phone. Dwell is a great way to listen to scripture, various playlists. If you want to make study, here's a great way. Challenge you. I challenge you. Delete your social media app and download one of those. Try it for 40 days. I warn you, it will change you. A couple other resources. I'm going to teach a class for 12 weeks starting uh, September 11th on how to study the Bible. Not Bible study, how to study the Bible. Okay. Everybody I am asking signs up for at least the 11th or the 18th. It's the exact same lesson, but on two different days. So say you got young kids, one of you can come on one day, one of you can come on the other Sunday. Sign-ups are on the big round table. How to study the Bible. Okay, I will teach you devotional study, how to study a chapter, how to study a book, how to study a theme, how to study a person, how to study a word, how to study the Bible. Okay. Everyone, please sign up for at least that one session, that one session. Another study opportunity, uh, starting at 9 o'clock on September 11th. Ethan Motter, stand up, Ethan. Go Motter. I just wanted to make you stand up just because it's a cool shirt, man. You look handsome, buddy. Yeah, all right, sit down. <laughs> I love him. Teaching a class on Mark. 
The Gospel of Mark. It'll be at nine o'clock in the adult classroom right over there. Here's the cool thing. Come, go to the class, then you can come to church. If you got kids in the lab, awesome. You can go to their class, you can go to that class, they can go to their class, and then you can come to church together. Or if you have kids in the blasting zone, they can go to the blasting zone at nine o'clock, you go to your class at nine o'clock, they can stay in the blasting zone because there's two different programs at nine o'clock and 1045, then you can come out and worship. Let's make study a priority. Parents, while I'm at it, you have one job. You have one job. That, raise that child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Raise that child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. <laughs> My mom and dad gave me this when I was in third grade. to my firstborn son, Paul, on the occasion of his completing the third grade. May this word dwell in your heart forever. May 30th, 1987. That's what he gave me. That's what she gave me. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.